Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So this week I took Sam to the dentist. Um, has anybody taken a three-year-old to the dentist before? <laughs> Uh, this was not his first time, so he knew that he didn't like it, and uh, we were, uh, we we got in the door, and he kind of like calmed down, and we were reading, and uh, reading a book, and just kind of waiting for them to come call, and I don't know about you, but I don't like the dentist either, <laughs> um, but the thing about me is when they call my name, I don't drop to the floor and start screaming. <laughs> Uh, maybe I feel like it sometimes, uh, but, uh, so he, we're sitting there and as soon as they, and he's calm and as soon as they open the door and say, uh, Samuel, and he, yeah, drops to the floor. He's, uh, and so there's this moment where, you know, you're trying to pick him up and move him and he begins army crawling for the door. <laughs> like he's on the ground. He's like everything that he can do to get out of this situation, right? Um, and we eventually pick him up and move him back to the chair or back into the the room that he's supposed to. And I mean, this is like a, a three-year-old dentist visit, so they like need to make sure that he has all his teeth and they're going to brush his teeth and that's it. Like, there's not anything uh, really terrible about it, but it's frightening for him, right? Because there are these people that he doesn't know and they're wearing masks and and eventually, like we we made it through the process. Um, but uh, I tell you that story because our theme t- for today is fear. Uh, and, and there's one thing uh, that, that three-year-olds do that we don't do often, unless, I mean, depending on the level of fear, but they're going to show us when they're afraid. Uh, and we, we understand fear, uh, and we see fear out of a three-year-old when they're at the dentist or when something scary comes on the TV and they run and hide or things like that. And oftentimes when we're afraid, depending on the level of fear again, uh, we're better at at least masking it or hiding it. And so you have this moment where you're trying to calm down your, your child at the dentist, but like on the inside you're like, I don't want to be here either. <laughs> uh, and so what do you do? Um, and it seems like uh, as you open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, It seems like fear, um, depending on what you're paying attention to and um, what you're looking at, seems to be the language of our day, doesn't it? It seems to be the mood uh, that a lot of people have these days. I mean, and we, uh, I mean, we experience this. This is uh, this is what terrorism is about. It's about inciting fear, terror. It's about acts that cause people to be afraid. And as we hear about stories and accounts of terrorism in our world, and some of them closer to home than others, we feel afraid, don't we? There's at least some level of fear that says, what if this happened to me? What if this happened in my neighborhood? What if this happened uh, with my children? What if this happened? I mean, it's, it's fear. 
And, and so the response is then of what do we do? How do we respond to this terrorism? Uh, as you, as you read this, as you listen to these stories, uh, you hear this conversation of fear again and again and again. Uh, we, we have all sorts of things that we can and, and probably should be afraid of in our world. And as we move into this season of Advent, we're in our second week of Advent, uh, and we're preparing for, to, to celebrate Christmas and to, to welcome uh, again the coming of, of Christ to earth on our behalf. Uh, we know that fear was present even in the stories of Jesus. And his coming. And we're entering into this story and we're, we're doing so by looking not just at the Christmas story, but, but at the Exodus story as well. Um, as Pastor Jim mentioned last week, the Exodus story is, is really the, uh, God's, God's first salvation story for the people of Israel. Uh, and in a way it's, it's a, it's a first coming, it's a first advent of God on behalf of the nation of Israel. And so we're looking through the lens of this, of this Exodus story, um, at the story of Christmas as well. And God's coming in, as Jesus. And so as you turn to Exodus chapter 3, if you're not already there, I want us to, to have in mind where does fear show up in these stories and what does, what do these stories teach us about how we should respond to the fear that exists for us today in our lives. So, uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So here's the first place we see fear show up in this story. Moses is afraid, but not afraid of danger, but afraid of God. He's afraid to look. And this is often the fear that we uh, encounter and associate with the Christmas season. Uh, as, as the Waltons read to us this morning uh, for our Advent uh, reading, we, we saw this story of uh, the angels that appear to Zechariah, the angel that appears to, to Joseph, the angel that appears to Mary, the angel that appears to the shepherds. Every time, what's the first thing that the angel has to say to the people? Fear not. Don't be afraid. Uh, don't be afraid. And, and the fear is because they are encountering uh, heaven crashing into earth. And it's terrifying. And oftentimes when we think of fear, we don't think of God in this way. We don't think of God in a, in a way that if we were to encounter him, uh, we would be afraid. It's interesting uh, that here, when Moses is afraid, God doesn't say, Hey, Moses, you don't have to be afraid. Uh, but when the angels show up in the New Testament, they say, 
Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Um, and the first thing that we see is that there, there is, to some extent, a proper fear for God. And yet the response that the angels give, the response that the angels give in Luke chapter 1, the response that they give in Luke chapter 2, the response that they give to Joseph and Matthew, is don't be afraid because God is at work. And God is at work. Yes, God is here in front of you, but God is at work uh, in your midst, on your behalf. You don't have to be afraid of God because he is working for you. And this is part of the message of Christmas. God is for you. When God shows up, you don't have to be afraid of him because he's working on your behalf. He doesn't tell Moses, don't be afraid. But he does say this in verse 7. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good, spacious land. So while God does not say, don't be afraid, he says, hey, Moses, here's the plan. I am working on your behalf, and I'm working on behalf of the Israelites. And so Moses' first fear is just of God's presence. Uh, But we see there's more fear here. Uh, because if, if you remember the story, uh, Moses, before he, the reason he's out here in the wilderness is because he had to flee Egypt. Uh, Moses had killed an Egyptian and it had been discovered. And he realized that if he remained in Egypt, his life was in danger. And so he, he left. And as far as we know, Moses was planning to live the rest of his days in the wilderness away from Egypt because he feared for his life if he went back. And yet God says to him, uh, Moses, you, you are going to go. Verse 10, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses is afraid. Uh, God is saying, go, I'm using you, Moses. And Moses says, uh, who am I? Verse 11 that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God's response is this. I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Uh, God's response to Moses here uh, is very telling, and it's very similar to what we see a lot of the time throughout scripture when people are afraid of what God is telling them to do. He doesn't say, Moses, it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's not, it's going to be really easy. Um, just go and do it. And like, it's not, it's not a problem. But his response is this. When, when Moses says, who am I that I should go? God says, don't worry, I'll be with you. I will be with you and you go. And Moses says in verse 13, but Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So God says again, Moses again begins to make excuses. Suppose they don't believe me. Or suppose they ask who? And God gives a response. Um, I am with you. Verse 13, uh, 
sorry, we just looked at verse 13. Uh, verse, jumping all the way down to chapter 4, verse 1. God has given this long explanation of, don't worry, Moses, I'm going to be with you. Uh, I am, tell, tell them this is who's sending you. Verse 1, chapter 4. Moses answered, but what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And then God responds again, giving Moses a sign for his excuse. And then all the way down to verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who, who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak. And will teach you what to say. Again and again and again, Moses says, but, but what about, suppose, well, maybe, excuse me, but maybe what if, and God says, Moses, go. I will be with you. The response to Moses' fear is not, hey, Moses, it's not going to be that difficult. It's not going to be hard. It won't be a struggle for you. It's go, I will be with you. And we actually see this a lot. Cliff, if you can put up uh, these slides. We see this throughout Scripture, and I only picked out a few of these. This is, this is such a common theme throughout the Old Testament. I originally was just going to put up these two verses, and I kept finding more and more, and uh, this is just a small sampling of the way that God responds to the people of Israel In the midst of their fear, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. To Joshua, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Next one. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, he says to Jeremiah, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hands. And now in Micah, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is God's promise again and again and again and again throughout the scriptures. To his people Israel, when they are afraid, he says, don't be afraid. And the reason for not fearing has nothing to do with the, the, how easy things are going to be or how difficult things might be for them. But the promise, the reason they don't have to be afraid is because God says, you are not alone. You are not doing this by yourself. I am with you. You are not alone. My presence will go with you. And as we come to the Christmas story, uh, as we look, uh, turn, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. As we look at these accounts of God showing up on behalf of the people, we celebrate The coming of God as a man. Emmanuel. God 
with us. And so in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, or let's begin in verse, uh, let's begin in verse 28. Uh, the angel appears to Mary and says, uh, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Do not be afraid, Mary. The Lord is with you. God is working to bring about salvation. You do not have to be afraid. The angels in chapter 2, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This proclamation of good news that God is working says, Do not be afraid. God is here. God is showing up. God is at work But that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And the same uh, message that was given to Mary, uh, do not be afraid, gets followed up later on in chapter 2 where Mary is told, a sword will pierce your own soul. This is not going to be easy for Mary. This is not going to be easy for Joseph. In Matthew chapter 2, Uh, Joseph and Mary have to flee Bethlehem under the cover of darkness because King Herod, who is also afraid, afraid of a king who might take his place, comes to Bethlehem and slaughters innocent children. There's violence in this story. There's pain and there's death. And yet God is still at work. And he says, do not be afraid. I am with you. I am working. Yes, this is hard. Yes, this is difficult. But you do not have to be afraid because I am with you. And this is very similar to how we respond to our children in the face of fear, isn't it? I mean, when I am with uh, Sam in the dentist and he's terrified, uh, I can't say to him, hey, you don't need to be afraid. Like, this is nothing, nothing scary is going to happen to you here. Uh, scary things are happening to him. There are strangers pick, putting their fingers in his mouth and like he doesn't understand what's going on. And by the way, don't talk to him about this. <laughs> Not that I actually asked him if I could tell this story, and he said it was okay, but if if everybody comes up to him and says, oh, I heard you went to the dentist, so you're afraid, then he's probably going to be more traumatized the next time we go. So just, yeah, anyway. Uh, but the, my, the way that I can reassure him is simply by being there 
with him. I'm not going to save him from what has to happen. Like he has to go to the dentist. At some point in his life, he's going to have to figure out that you have to go to the dentist and, and be okay with that. And so I can't just remove him from the, from the danger. Remove him from the thing that makes him afraid, which is often what we wish would happen when we're afraid, right? Like that there just wouldn't be things to make us afraid. But that's not possible in our world today. We talked last week about the longing that we have for that final redemption when there will be no more fear, when there will be no more crying, no more pain. But we live in the midst of a world that is still waiting for that final redemption and where fear still is a reality in our lives. And so we can't be removed from it, but the promise that God says is in the midst of your terror, I will be with you. You are not alone. Somehow, in the midst of the tragedy, God is still working to bring about redemption. And so the announcement we are given uh, is fear not. Fear not. And the announcement that the angels give is, is fear not because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This message of do not be afraid, this good news is for everyone. For all people. Not just us Christians. But God is announcing to our world, you do not have to be afraid because God is for you. God is with you. And and the message that the, the shepherds are given to take to the people is God is working. So the, the shepherds are told, go and tell. Spread the news. God is at work. And as we come into this Christmas season and we, we proclaim the good news of great joy, we, we remember Christ coming on our behalf. Our proclamation as Christians to our world is fear not. God is working. God is with us. God is for us. But I think before we can proclaim the good news of great joy, uh, we need to be reminded of this message. And we need to understand what it means to not fear. Before we can tell our world there's nothing to be afraid of, we need to be reminded ourselves that there's nothing to be afraid of. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Because it's one thing to to look at the story of Moses and say, well, yeah, obviously Moses and the Israelites didn't have to be afraid. God was showing up in the burning bush and God was showing up to deliver them. The pillar of fire and the cloud that guided them through the wilderness. God was providing them for them in physical ways. Yeah, it's easy for Joseph and Mary to not have to be afraid because God is there in their midst. They see the angels that are coming and announcing this wonderful proclamation. But in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're told this. The Spirit that God, this is verse 7. The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid 
Or your translation might say, for God did not give us a spirit of fear. But he gives us a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Amen. That we as Christians are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. God with us. Living inside of us. Giving us a spirit that does not make us afraid, does not make us timid, does not make us fearful, but gives us power that enables us to love, that enables us to be self-disciplined as we move through our world proclaiming the announcement, do not be afraid. We do it with power and love and self-discipline. Do not be afraid. God is for you. God loves you. And then one more, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Paul says a very similar thing. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received, Christians, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. Here in the midst of this passage where Paul says, Do not be afraid. We do not have a spirit that makes us afraid. That we have to live in fear. He says also that we will share in the sufferings of Christ. He's not saying you don't have to be afraid because now that you're a Christian, everything is going to go well for you. And it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out because God is on our side. No, he says we are participating in the sufferings of Christ. That Christ who was crucified when God was with, I mean, he was God. And God is working in the midst of us, uh, and he goes to the cross. And Paul, who's writing these things, will eventually be imprisoned and beaten and beheaded because of his faith. And Peter will be crucified upside down because of his faith. And all of these apostles and disciples went to their death. Because of their faith. And yet the message is fear not. Not because it's going to be easy and pain free. But we do not have to be afraid because we have God with us. Working in our midst. The question is not, will there be things that make us afraid? Of course there will be. There will always be things that make us afraid in this world until Christ comes. But the question is that Paul gives us here is, will we live in fear? Will we allow ourselves to be controlled by our fear, to be dominated, to be directed, to make our decisions because of our fear? Or will we trust that we have a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline? That the spirit, the, the way that God is working in us should not 
let us rest in our fear, but should cause us to respond to those things that make us afraid with love. That we respond to our world in the midst of our fear with loving even those who make us afraid. And the question this Christmas is, is God's presence enough for us? Do we truly believe that that's enough of a response to our fears? Do we trust God when he says, even in the midst of your fears, my presence with you should be all that you need? Do we have a faith that can proclaim that? That when God says, don't be afraid, not because it's going to be easy, but don't be afraid because I am with you. Do we believe that? Or do we say, well, that's great to know, but it doesn't really work out when like, my life is in danger. Or that doesn't really work out when uh, I have to do these things that cause me to have to go to the dentist or whatever. Like, do we believe that God's presence is enough of a response to our fear? Because oftentimes I think the answer is no. I think oftentimes we say, that's great, God, but uh, I could use a little more help than that. (laughs) And so we begin to look for other things, other people to satisfy our fears, to respond to our fears, to protect us from those things that make us afraid. We rely on someone or something else to save us, other than the one who says, don't be afraid, I'm with you. And it really comes down to a matter of faith. Can God provide? Can he satisfy my longings? Is he big enough to deal with the danger in a way that he feels is appropriate? Is it enough that God promises to be with us? He doesn't promise us safety. He didn't promise Paul safety. He didn't promise any other disciples' safety. He doesn't promise us safety. His reasons for us not fearing aren't because he is minimizing the danger that we walk into in our world. He doesn't downplay the risk. But his reasons for us not to be afraid call forth our trust in a good God. And a God to whom uh, Abraham says, uh, the Lord will provide. And do we believe that God will provide in the midst of danger? Is his presence enough? Can we endure suffering and hardship with the knowledge that we are secure in him? And the work to which we have been called is a work of love. It's a work in which we bear a cross. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. This is what Jesus says to his disciples as he's preparing to be crucified. But he also says to them, this is how men and women will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another in this way. And the question is, do we value our own safety and security and self-preservation over love? And when we respond to fear with more fear, when we live into fear, and we respond uh, not with love but with anger and hatred, 
We allow fear to be the spirit that we hold high. In Exodus chapter 4 again, Moses is arguing with God. God, what about this? What about this? But suppose, what if this happens? What if they don't accept me? And God continually says, I I am with you, I am with you, go. When we realize the task to which we have been called, to choose love over fear every time, oftentimes we might have the same reaction as Moses. God, could you maybe have somebody else uh, love their neighbors, love their enemies? Could you have somebody else proclaim this message, don't be afraid, to these people who make me afraid? And in Exodus chapter, after Moses has argued and argued with God, Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, Moses' final response, Pastor Jim mentioned this last week, uh, is this, pardon your servant, Lord, please some, send somebody else. And I think this is often our response when we, when we think about the things that make us afraid and we hear God's call in our lives to say, uh, you don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit of love. Go and love, even in the midst of your fear. We might say, God, send somebody else to do that work. That's too hard. I don't want to do that. But do we believe? Do we believe that the love of God is enough of a response to our fears? That when God comes and says, You are loved, and you are loved, and you are loved, and God so loved the world that he sent his son. That this means the people who cause us to be afraid, that God loves them. And do we believe that God's love, that the love that God showed on the cross is enough for our enemies? And can we walk in front of them and proclaim, God loves you? And do it by loving them as well. Is this a good enough gift at Christmas? Is God's presence and love for our world good enough? When he says, I am with you, do not be afraid, he means it. You do not have to be afraid. There are things that will make you afraid, but you can choose to live in love. Because God is with you, loving you, empowering you to love in the midst of your fear. The author of Hebrews, one last passage. Pastor Jim says it's Paul. We'll agree to disagree. Um, The author of Hebrews uh, lays out in chapter 11 this whole passage of faith, uh, examples of faith, these heroes of the faith. And towards the end of this passage of chapter 11, he speaks of these men and women who suffered because of their faith. Verse, uh, let's just pick up in verse 35. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. 
They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, uh, this author here is writing to people who are in the face of persecution at the cost of their possibly soon risking their very lives. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're being told in the midst of your persecution, in the face of suffering, look at this cloud of witnesses that also endured suffering for their faith. And being surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, let us focus on, on Christ, the author, perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. So do not grow weary. Do not grow weary of loving. Do not turn aside from your faith and live into a, midst of, into a life of fear. But instead, fix your eyes on Christ, who, who in the midst of the fear of the cross went and embraced it willingly for our sakes. And this is the life that you are called to focus on the work of Christ and continue to not grow weary in choosing love every time. Let's pray. God, we, we live in a world uh, that is filled with things to cause us to be afraid. And God, it's so easy to allow those things uh, to control our responses and so easy to allow ourselves to be sucked into that world uh, in which we need to rely on others and the presence of someone else, the presence of idols to give us security. And you have called us to not be afraid, not because going to be easy but because you're with us and you've called us to a message and a spirit you've given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline so that we may be disciplined to proclaim your love for our world even in the midst of our fears and so we ask uh, for awareness of that spirit that we already have that we may listen to it be attuned to it God, give us the courage that we need to proclaim the good news of great joy for all people, even in the midst of our fears. We pray this in your name. Amen. Do you believe that? That the hopes and fears of all the years are met in Christ. He is a response. Psalm 46 is one of my favorite psalms. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, 
and the mountains fall in to the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Psalmist is describing a world falling apart. And he says, we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This Christmas, the announcement is that you are not alone. God is with you. Do not be afraid.